0: Hi, I'm Amanda and I'm Kim and this is The Department, a podcast about trends and how they define the world around us.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 59 here at the department. And we actually were just saying this, but I do feel like it's been absolute ages. Um, We have been, you know, we've been, we've been, we've been working on a few things over here um, in our, (laughs) in our like um, professional lives. So it's been a little bit, it's been a a little bit tricky to, um, to get it together. Um, It's also, you know, the holidays. And so in the fashion industry and with bo- which both amanda and i work um or retail industry really in general it is just really really crazy just the holidays are just insane so we we've kind of we've kind of you know lost a little bit of time and um we are very excited to be back and we also have another special special treat for you all and have invited a special guest Um, to the podcast and he has a lot of insider knowledge on this week's topic which is drumroll please true crime
0: (laughs) that was so authentic i thought i was like at a live stage performance just
1: (laughs) (laughs) so welcome to the show neil blakemore who also just so happens to be my Boyfriend, and I know that we mention him often. So, hello, hello, Neil. Hello. <laughs> Happy to be here.
2: <laughs> Welcome you. to the Thanks department. Thanks for having me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and anyway, so when, when I actually started working on this episode, he was, you know, he was like, um, "Are you going to mention that I was actually involved in a rather notorious case?" And I, and I was like, "Well." <laughs> Um, I gonna mean, just mean better than that. Like, how about you actually just come on and share mm-hmm. your own opinions as someone who's been so close to, like, an actual, you know, true crime case and how it's actually, you've seen it actually affect people in their lives. Um, and so as an intro, you know, Neil was involved, I guess, as a close bystander. I wouldn't, I don't even know if that's even, that's not even a, a good enough description. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but in the 2001 Kathleen Peterson case, in which, which was Im- immortalized in the 2018 Netflix true c- crime series, The Staircase, uh, so Neil was married before he met me um, to one of Kathleen and her husband, Michael Peterson's adopted daughters. So Neil actually found himself wrapped up in the case and the courtroom dealings, and you can actually see him in a few of the episodes of The Staircase.
0: Wow, this is like, is this mm-hmm. the most famous person we've had on the department? <laughs> I mean no idea. Sorry, I Ty. So- <laughs> <laughs> Um mm-hmm. I just wanted to say also, uh, just for all of you listeners that I have never actually met Neil. This is literally the first mm-hmm. time I'm meeting Neil, except for one time when I was zooming with Kim and uh, he walked by. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, not only are you going to get to hear all kinds of amazing information about true crime, but you're really going to get to see Neil and I build a relationship. Oh, So
3: true. So true. Looking
0: <laughs>
1: forward to it. <laughs> That's hilarious. And um, Amita, have you seen The Staircase? Okay. Can I? And I,
0: Neil, please do not take offense to this. I started to no. watch it and I just, I found it unwatchable. Dustin and I tried. Mm. We tried. Mm. Um, interesting. There was just something about it that like, I don't, I don't know. I, not that the case isn't interesting, right. just the, the 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 way it was put together itself. And I, listen, I love me some true crime. Uh, yeah. It just wasn't mm. the pacing or something just wasn't doing it for me. And I, I quit. Mm. And instead I, I went on to Reddit. where I want to go
1: and read all about it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you didn't actually see him.
0: Or maybe I did because I've never met Neil, except for that one time he walked by when you and I were zooming.
3: (laughs) Yeah. You probably didn't because um, the it was actually made the, the original first eight episodes were made in actually as the whole story was unfolding. uh, And, Um, so they started filming like two weeks after Kathleen died and filmed, um, ongoing for throughout for, you know, two and a half years, uh, until Michael was convicted and then, you know, continued to follow up. And I met Margaret in between like the original eight episodes and then the final like three or four. And so I'm, I'm in the like last part of it. And, um, so, if you didn't make it through the first, and and to be completely honest with you, the first time I sat down, you know, Mar- Margaret and I went to film school together in Chicago uh, to get our MFAs, and it was it was two thousand six, two and a half years after, or so after, maybe three years after, her father was convicted and put in prison, and um, so one of my other classmates, at some point, we were like, you know, drinking early on out partying on a Friday or whatever, early into our careers in grad school. And, um, uh, they said, did you know that Margaret's family has a documentary made about her? And I was like, no. And they said it's called the staircase. Apparently her dad like killed her her his wife or something. And I was like, um, really? So I rented it from, um, Oh, facets, which is the great, Facets Video Store in Chicago. If you're ever there, I hope it's still there. Um, it's amazing. It's like a real life Netflix. You like walk in and it's just got every movie you could ever imagine. But um, <clears throat> anyway, rented it and I started watching the first episode and I just felt really uncomfortable. Um, and so I turned it off and I was like, "This is like a window too private. It's like too yeah. intimate into mm, their life." Yeah. And it made me really. Just unsettled. I was like, I don't know Margaret well enough to feel like I'm that comfortable to watch it. So we actually started dating and, and were engaged and before I ever watched it. But just to say that I, I can relate to being like yeah. Um I don't know. I don't know if I want to watch it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, before we totally launch into this week's episode, we do we do this spiel. I think you probably heard it. Um, you know, Neil actually is a um, He's definitely one of our biggest fans. He listens to quite a few of these podcasts, so he knows exactly what I'm about to do. At, where I'm going to do my weekly reminder to tell your friends and family about the <laughs> podcast. Um, so make sure to tell your friends and family about the, about the, the podcast. Um, you know, make sure to follow us on your preferred streaming service. Um, because, you know, the more the more follows we have, the more likely what is it, Apple or Spotify will actually present us as an option. And um, also, you know, give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to take it a little step further, please leave a review, which I actually haven't looked if we've gotten a review in a while. After
0: that really horrible review, yeah. I was like, I just, I don't think I can look at the reviews
1: anymore for a little <laughs> bit. It really shook me up. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna have a look. I'm, I'm hoping that we were able to get a few new reviews from our We play. were.
0: We were. Actually, uh, I do want to just say thank you to everyone, all of our devoted listeners, our, our family, our podcast family here for jumping in and leaving some nice reviews that were just really lovely that pushed down that really, really shitty review. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because that was like, it's one of those things where you're like, why should it matter to you? But it does, unfortunately, you know. So thank you so much to everyone.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then last, you know, make sure to follow us on Instagram um, where we put extra content and memes and, you know, and people often are really wonderful and generous and they actually share a lot of the, this content that I post um, and I repost and I really appreciate it when you see a trend or you see an article on a trend and you send it to me because mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not looking at everything. So it's nice to have all these eyes out there and um, it's, that's awesome. Um, so you can find us at underscore the underscore department. You know, obviously. Obviously. Um, Obviously. (laughs) And um, if you would like to check out any of our show notes or the links or read the articles that we're talking about, you can find it on our website, thedepartment.world.
0: And if you have a suggestion for an episode, you want to tell us about a trend we're missing – uh, I don't know. I was kind of surprised I didn't hear from any of you about Sex in the City. Maybe you want to talk about that a little bit more. Tell us how excited or not excited you are about the reboot. You can call our hotline number or send us a voice memo that you've recorded on your phone or computer. And you can find all of the details for contacting us on our website. Once again, that's thedepartment.world.
1: Well, I mean, speaking of commentary on sex in the city. I'll tell (laughs) you, I, you know, I definitely got some, a bunch of texts from Neil while he was listening to the podcast, which happens often with a lot of people where I get these like texts and I don't even know what they're in, what the relevance is or what they're talking to. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It happens to me too.
1: (laughs) And I'm like, what? (laughs) And he was like, it's, you know, because people will hear our voices and, you know, maybe like, five days later, listen to the podcast. And of course, I've forgotten everything that I've talked about.
0: Oh my god, me too. Or someone will <laughs> listen to an episode from like a year ago and be like, just yeah. send me a random text. Like, <laughs> yeah, I see a lot of raccoons too. And I'm like, what, what? the heck are you talking about right now? So uh yeah, you know. yeah, but we still love it. It's great. You know what I love when we hear from someone, uh, I do want to let you all know that we did hear from Mister Ty McBride, and he seems to be willing to someday have a Cosmo and Cupcake wedding. Yes, so. he
1: does. But you know, on on that note, um, I definitely wanted Neil, as you can tell, he has a, a a background in the entertainment industry and is a professional out here in LA. And he had a few words about the last podcast and the Sex in the City character development that we were very stumped by. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we were, uh, I don't yeah, get it. Well,
1: um,
0: <laughs> Lay it on us. I want to hear well, I
3: Just that, like, I think that part of the reason why um, y- you guys were so confused or that people are confused about Carrie Bradshaw and her choices is that they're, they're it was like written by men who um, have mm-hmm. misogynistic ideas about what women want and how they behave. So it's like people who don't, like, aren't. They're not necessarily empathetic, it, but also I think it was trying to be like a fairy tale.
1: Mm, but um, Yeah, I could see that. That makes it, sense. It
3: it just, it seems to me like there's a strain of misogyny going on in how they depict the women in that show. But.
0: Well, so of that time though, you know. The, yeah, the, no, absolutely. I was randomly, as I was cooking dinner tonight, thinking about a boyfriend that I had in the, uh, era of Sex in the City who was like, to be honest, just a terrible, toxic person. I mean, he like literally planted software on my computer that recorded all of my passwords and then broke into Whoa. all my accounts, like, you know, email. I mean, like my friend because this was like that era <laughs> and printed everything out and faxed it to my mom and my dad uh, such- to prove like that I, I don't know, that I was a bad person or something. And I was thinking about like wow that guy's attitude towards women I wonder how that's aging right now in 2021 and then I was like you know all the not all not hashtag not all dudes a lot of the guys that I knew in that era had these same sort of dumb attitudes like you couldn't be smart and beautiful it was one or the other or like that whole like triangle of like Crazy, beautiful, smart—you can't. You can only be two like that kind of bullshit. And that women mm-hmm. were materialistic, and women just mm-hmm. want shoes, and women—I don't know—I <laughs> can go on and on. Like, there's this whole generation of like Gen X guys, especially who really—that was they—they they lived that way, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that's that, those are a lot of the attitudes that we we saw depicted. Yeah, so it makes sense that they would you know mimic it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, but but Neil tell me this yes why were all the guys on that show so gross yeah like not appealing I, no, no
3: no idea, no idea. <laughs> um, that, I, do, I don't have an insight into that exactly but they did all suck
1: i mean um, and may, maybe it was because gay men were writing it and they were just like oh yeah. this guy like let's do this guy i hate this type of type of straight straight guy They were all so gross, so unappealing.
0: (laughs) But the women were were like these feminine ideals of beauty and style and sort of like persona of that time. But then all the men
1: were just like... Whoa, put a bag over that face, like
2: <laughs> get him out of here. <laughs> You're
1: like, who's your casting manager yeah, here? <laughs> where are you
0: finding? Me? Like, honestly, I was like, oh, I guess when I move to LA, I'm going to see a lot of men like that or something. Yeah. And then I got there, and mm. I was like, no, the men here don't look like that. And I didn't see men like that in New York, so <laughs> where are these men coming from? <laughs> Like slick back Chicago. hair, a bad suit. <laughs> Are they all in Chicago? Is that what it was?
3: <laughs> maybe yeah. They're maybe they're all from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, apparently they just all have bad taste in men. These uh, these ladies on Sex and the City.
1: Yeah, yeah that's, that must be.
0: I mean, as a person who most of the time has really bad taste in men, like this is something <laughs> I I can't I can relate to. I guess <laughs> my just bad taste in men usually tends to be more on the hipster end, where like marginally employed or like alcoholic or you know both or you know yeah. whatever in seven bands that kind of thing mm-hmm.
1: I mean I, I I, when I first moved to New York I was like oh my god like it's just going to be like a dating pool of just like so much op- you know opportunity <laughs> and you're like um, I mean not that not that like the choices were that great but you're just like oh my god men they, like talk to women and there's all these parties you're like no this is this is like you said you know a fairy tale this does not this does not yeah. exist <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah.
3: I mean it's, it's basically like this is this is what we think every woman's fantasy is of their New York life. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's a little misogynistic, guys.
2: Mm-hmm. But yes.
3: you know, I have to say I do like uh I do like Kyle McLaughlin. um <laughs> you know Twin Agreed. Peaks uh Twin Peaks, one of my all time favorite T V shows.
1: Good answer. And, Good answer. Uh, yeah. So
3: I I'm, I'm okay with the fact that he was in it. <laughs> but I, d- I don't really feel like i watched his storylines so um and and really as a whole for the show i only watched like bits and pieces here and there
1: well i'm gonna have to sit you down and we're gonna have to have a marathon yeah
0: yeah although i think you can skip the first season because it's shit I, did and,
3: I did try and watch it recently and i was like eh. but uh maybe maybe i'll go back and sit down it does feel pretty dated
1: <laughs> Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's like painful. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just all of it,
1: all of it. I mean, Neil, are you excited about the, the, the new movie or no? Is it a movie or is it a is it an actual TV show? No, it's a <gasps> reboot. Yeah,
3: yeah, the reboot. Yeah. Um, I you know I didn't even know that there was going to be a reboot until around the time that you guys recorded the episode, and I read a lot about how Kim Cattrall and um, Sarah Jessica Parker uh, didn't like each other. And then I also read a lot about how it was like the media was covering it like it was a quote unquote cat fight, and um, ah. so they're like, if it were, if these were two men, nobody would care. <laughs> but yeah. um, you know, I uh, so that that's about the level of my engagement with the reboot. <laughs> I, I you know the gossip you, you got I, into the gossip. I like to give. I'm I'm literally willing to watch anything. Um, so I, you <laughs> yes. know, I might sit down and give it, I'll give it a chance. A trooper. Oh, I I at an
0: <laughs> the anticipation for this reboot is shocking to me because, you know, the original series ended so long ago. It felt so dated. The movies we know were the mediocre at best, but like I saw about approximately a gazillion posts on Instagram for Halloween of people dressing as the few publicity stills that have been out there. That's right. That Where she's dressed up like the the grandma. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's wild to me how excited people are about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, you know, I'm a a little bit excited. Uh, I – it feels like it's coming at a nice time with the past two years, just feeling Mm -hmm. like a weird, sad holding pattern. Like it might be nice to have that like excess vibe. Yeah. I think so. Um, People need it. Yeah. I think so too. I mean, I'm not getting my hopes up because like, I keep thinking of the second movie and what I just like it. I wish you remember that movie. uh, Oh my gosh. Why am I blanking on it? Um, Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. We've talked about it here before. Mm -hmm. I yeah. wish I could go mm-hmm. get that second Sex in the City movie deleted from my brain. I would pay money for that <laughs> because it was so terrible. And it, really was. it soured me on the whole thing. If I'd never seen that movie, I think I would be more like, yeah, give me that reboot. You know, maybe I would dress up. How did it get made?
1: Home. Like, how did it pass? You know, like, i feel like it it never did justice to it and it just was so despicable it was i mean you know what it reminds it's it's like um i don't know if you've seen coming to to america the (laughs) the second coming to america which Mm. also should not exist i heard it was pretty bad
3: yeah Yeah, we watched it. it was very bad yeah
1: yeah,
0: I mean, I think that's true. I think that people saw a lot of money, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to be made. And I would yeah. guess it made some money. It looked really expensive to make. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've tried to wrap my brain around that a lot. I think that how gross and Islamophobic it felt and just how cliche, and it, it just, I, I can't figure it out.
3: Well, um, I, I, I can answer some of those questions. Okay. Uh oh for you right now the budget was 95 million dollars
0: how does that rate in terms of budget
3: well i mean a lot of movies um i guess i would say for a movie that's not like a um superhero movie uh, it that seems like a lot of money but um it did make 294 million in the box office so they made their money back um but uh yeah, they started developing it in two thousand nine, and then shot it a few months later. Acor- according to uh, sorry, Wikipedia, um, <laughs> sixteen on per- uh, Rotten Tomatoes, sixteen percent of critics gave it a positive review.
0: Sixteen percent? I mean, it is like no, listen, it's too high.
3: Yeah, that's right, I'm a high. fan,
0: and <laughs> I went to see that movie, and I was like, I can't believe I just spent twelve dollars. <laughs> I'm so frugal. I made myself sit through it because lest I waste twelve dollars. But I left just feeling just like what I want my twelve dollars (laughs) back and three hours of my life or whatever because it was also really long. (laughs) Oh, just terrible, Uh, terrible. I was like the only person in the theater. Three hours long. Yeah, it's terrible, terrible. Okay. Well, okay. I can talk about that movie and how much I hate it for like six more episodes. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess we should jump into the topic at hand.
1: Yes, of course. I'm sure people sure. are just bated breath over here. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. So let me let me jump in. Um, so true crime has been trending for centuries. You know, I feel like it actually has been trending in my own personal life as a form of en- entertainment and a way to unwind more and more lately. You know, I personally, and I'm sure Amanda... You feel the same way. I love relaxing on a long walk around the neighborhood and listening to some like very morbid podcasts,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or or you know, I get really really thrilled. Like Neil will be like, "Oh my god, there's a new there's a new true crime serial serial killer documentary." I'm, I'm waiting for you to come over on the weekend. Um, <laughs> and Neil is technically my partner in crime. <laughs> As we gather together with some like wine and wine, we watch. We'll, we'll literally comb through every streaming surface for. Either a new one or one that we haven't seen yet, <laughs> but I didn't. I wouldn't do that ten years ago.
0: No, no. You know what I mean, yeah, yeah. It's definitely. I mean, when I knew that this was going to be the topic this week, I was trying to retrace the rise of of true crime in my life, and I definitely feel like it's the last. Not even ten years. I think.
1: No. Yeah. Well, I'll. I will actually. I'll answer some of these questions. Okay as we go on, because I did a lot of research to understand what the, what, what, (laughs) why, (laughs) you know, where did it come from? Um, So according to a study from Civic Science, over half of Americans say they're interested in true crime as a form of entertainment. And this is one of the reasons, I'm getting right to it. um, Serial, which was released in 2014, has topped... Over a record-breaking 340 million downloads. Can you believe
0: that? Wow. I mean, I can't believe it it, because I remember when it came out, you know, it was – It was in one way or another connected with This American Life, which is how I knew about it. But then I would hear... They had a ton of... A big following. Definitely. And you and I were working at Nasty Gal then. And I remember hearing people at Nasty Gal talking about it. And I was shocked because these were not people who were listening to NPR. And I was like, wow, this podcast has arrived.
1: Yeah. It was... Yeah. It was very... It was... It was something... New and unexpected that people didn't even know that they wanted. Yeah, totally. And it was, you know, shocking uh, all the things. But I'll I'll, I'll kind of get into the the rise of of, of that situation. Um, you know, Netflix is chasing down true crime high with one document documentary after the next. I mean, I think November, N- Neil and I noticed that there was like a there was going to be a bunch of releases of basically just two crime serial killer docs one after another. So clearly. <laughs> You know, <laughs> like people, they're, people, they're people, need it. Their, people
3: need their binging material for the holiday season, and it <laughs> yeah. might well be, you know, <laughs> crime stories filled with dread.
0: That's oh my disgusting. goodness!
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, the murderinos abound, and the trend in this like crime junkie paraphernalia is growing, and including Amanda's favorite. I'm sure you actually have this T-shirt, Amanda. A novelty tee with true crime, glass of wine in bed by nine. Oh,
0: <laughs> no, is, I just want to tell you all that uh, Kim shared a photo of this with me, and I'm just so upset about it.
1: Um, they come in all different versions. Oh, like, really? You can Great. Get every you can get it in so many different um, options. I can. Can I just also, so, guys? It's if very tricky.
0: If, yeah, very, very true. Very. <laughs> uh, uh, just as a reminder, I really hate word teas like
1: this. <laughs> <laughs> Novelty. Tea. Oh
0: my god! Um, yeah, you
1: can also get a T-shirt that just says "True Crime Junkie." You know, because you're going to be going to complete your obsession, and really for serious hob hobbyist, you can have the opportunity in your true crime glass of wine in bed by nine. um, you could wear that to a live podcast recording of a true crime, you know, show. Like,
0: <laughs> you know what? Can I just talk about this tea again? Yeah, you know I- <laughs> I'm really troubled by. <laughs> the formatting of it because there's no punctuation yeah. but there's also no line spacing that really indicates the phrasing here and i had to read it like five times before i realized it was true crime glass of wine in bed by nine i just thought i was reading it like true crime glass of wine in bed by nine and like, it didn't make any sense to me i was like what is this sentence saying anyway uh yeah if you if you're wearing this shirt right now that's fine and i'm glad for that's you fine. and no. i bet you look
1: really cute I mean, quite honestly, if I had the opportunity to attend a live podcast recording and someone gave me that T-shirt, I would totally put it on. I
0: mean, imagine how fun <laughs> it would be at a, to be at a live podcast recording. Oh, right my now. God.
1: I, you can only imagine. I mean, you hear about how amazing the community is. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, just, for sure. It,
0: it would be super fun.
1: Well, don't forget, there's also conferences and there's even luxury crime-themed cruises.
2: What?
1: Yes. Crazy. You can go on a cruise with other true crime hobbyists and, like, (laughs) just talk about true crime. When are we going, guys? (laughs) Exactly. Get the car. Yeah, right? Wow. I know. Doesn't that sound great? Yeah. So, you know, we cannot look away And in fact, true crime has proven to be some of the most intoxicating forms of entertainment for new media like podcasts and streaming services with over 2800 true crime podcasts to choose from now. And even the traditional forms of media cannot escape this like crazy rise in demand. So from 2016 to 2018, this was post serial 2014 there was a 60% growth in print copies of true crime books, which hit more than 1.6 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, Medium reports that the genre appears to be one of the most popular for streaming services like Netflix, with the more grisly and disturbing programs getting the highest number of ratings. The shows that focus on the particular psyches of criminals, many of whom are actual like downright psychopaths, tend to lead in popularity of views. So shows like Tiger King, Night Stalker, any Ted Bundy, um, s- skull sex guy docs, um, <laughs> don't fuck with cats, Sons of Sam, and Making of a Murder all top of the list. Like anything that has the weirdest, creepiest, most fucked up c- uh, c- criminal in it is good. It's, it's going to be the most popular.
0: It's. I mean, it's true. I'm going to tell you. I have. Attempted to watch all of these or watch them in their entirety, and I really, uh, I'm sure somebody's gonna be angry for me for saying this. <gasps> I didn't really like Tiger King, I didn't either. I didn't actually finish okay, it. Okay, good. Uh, uh, I, didn't do it, I don't yeah. think I, I did I watched, either, like, actually.
3: I've watched two or three episodes and then I was
0: done. Um, yeah. making of a murderer, I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that. Netflix is so obsessed with creating as much content as fast as possible all the time that they, there's not a lot of quality control maybe going on. Making of Murder was probably one of the better ones, but I know after all the reading I did after I finished that one, that it may not have been as neutral as it could have been. It, it A lot of these docs present themselves as like news, as in factual, as in like, Mm-hmm. balanced, true information, and they aren't. And I also, like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, having grown up in the kind of environments like making, like the people of Making of a Murderer or the people in Tiger King, meaning just being, like, poor white trash, it can be really painful for me to watch these and know that people laugh yeah. about it. I just can't, I can't do it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So Rolling Stone came out with a 2016 article, Making a Murderer, Uh, and true crime in the binge viewing era saying that the fascination with true crime is nothing new, but the binge watching and listening era is changing the way the stories are consumed Mm. and how they're made, which actually, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And so documentary viewership, it has in the past been very notoriously specific. You know, it really, it always reminded me of like, you know, Uh, PBS or something, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. but true crime has actually broken down a lot of those barriers and caused nonfiction demand to flourish. So director Joe uh, Berlinger told uh, the, the, the Rolling Stones um, Mm -hmm. article that, Crime has always been a staple of television, but I've never been approached by more of the networks. I get phone calls saying, I want cereal, but with X, Y, and Z, or <laughs> we want the next Jinx. <laughs> so you can imagine, like, that's they're just trying to chase this, like, bingeable, um, shocking tragedy. Mm-hmm. We actually watched the Jinx this weekend, and we also watched, what was it called? What was the... The, the real, um, uh, the movie, the movie oh, version.
3: Oh, oh, all good things. Kirsten,
1: all good things. With Kirsten Dunst and, uh, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Wait, I think I've
0: seen, I think I tried, okay, I totally tried to watch this and had to give up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, we watched that first, then Neil's like, okay, now we're going to watch The Jinx. And I was like, why is is Ryan Gosling playing this guy? Dude, I mean, there's (laughs) so much weird
0: stuff going on with true crime right now where, like, I, you know, we always joke around our house, like, different cats, like if we see a fancy cat on the internet, oh. we'll be like, oh, that's the Hollywood version of Brenda. That's the Hollywood version mm-hmm. of Ray or whatever. I don't think that we need a sexy, handsome Hollywood version of murderers. <laughs> and yes. unfortunately we're getting out like, there is right.
1: another the Ted Bundy one. Yeah, but, was that with Zach Zach? Yeah,
0: I was like, I can't handle this.
1: But, but Ted Bundy also was actually Notoriously good-looking. I know,
0: but I I checked. I compared them side-by-side. Side, uh, oh, you did? And I okay. was like, yeah, still too handsome. Still too handsome. I know handsome. he's like the sexy murderer, right? Uh, and I can see Whoa. it. But, like, Zac Efron is also, like, a different kind of handsome. And it, it made him too sympathetic, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we need to sexify all the murderers. Amanda, if...
1: If some if someone played you in a movie, what would who who would be the um, who would be the actress
0: or actor? I mean, ideally, someone really really ugly, so I wouldn't feel inferior. Uh, so
1: <laughs> 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 what about you, Neil? Uh,
3: I have no idea. But who um, would play you? Yeah, I'd have to think about that. But but I think like one going just talking about our What's his name? Zac Efron playing Ted Bundy. I mean, I just don't think that he's an actor that has the chops to actually go to the places <laughs> no! that Ted Bundy uh, w- did went to because he did some like really disturbing things to people, mm-hmm. uh, um, and so it's like they they went with one aspect of the casting and not the other. <laughs> You're right. Totally. I,
0: I tried to watch you're it right. on the way to Japan. You know, I'm like a captive mm-hmm. audience for like what eleven hours. Uh, <laughs> I'll watch anything because I'm hoping to fall asleep. And I just, it was unwatchable to me. And I think you're right, Neil. It was the Zach Efron of it all, where it just, it just <laughs> nothing felt real. It was I felt like I was watching like a high school dramatic ver- retelling of yeah. you know Ted Bundy, and it just it it didn't really resonate with me like the visual aspect of it was really well done. Like the set design and the costuming and whatnot, but just like, Mm -hmm. it, it just didn't feel right to me. Yeah. You were like, that guy's not going to go murder anyone. He must be innocent. You know?
3: Well, and, and like, um, what was I going to say? I think part of the problem is that you're trying to make a movie where the most despicable, despicable human being on the planet is uh, the main character. And so, and you know, film executives, what they always want is like, well, we need to like the person. And it's like, nobody likes Ted Bundy. And I don't think that just from like an ethical standpoint as a filmmaker, you don't really want to try and create empathy for someone like that. So it would have been better in my opinion for them to follow his victims and their families or like, you know, anybody else uh, in that story, but Ted Bundy but i get it he is like that that the fact that he was able to charm people um as much as he did and he had like a rapport with the reporters and um at one point defended himself um people are like wow this is this person is fascinating yeah,
1: wasn't Zach
0: Efron like a Disney kid? Yeah, wasn't he like? It's really messed up. But you know, yeah. like like you said, cr- true crime has always been around, and I feel like mm-hmm. for a certain type of person, uh, like a teenage rite of passage was to read *Helter Skelter*, the book mm-hmm. about the Manson family. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I did I either. Read I did it not. That? I didn't either. No. I'm too soft. I can't handle it. Did you read it, Neil? You're you're goth. Did you read it?
3: I I did not read it, but my brother definitely did.
0: There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, so like, there was that. And, like, there were always – you always knew that kid who was really into, like, serial killers and reading books. You about mean, like, the goth kids? Not necessarily. <laughs> Sometimes they were, like, the Heshers, the metal kids. Mm. You know? I knew a lot of people who were really into, like, serial killers and stuff. And I, that's just – not not my thing. Um I'm more into like I'm going to read the Bell Jar 1000 times. I'm that person. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. You know, I I feel like that that obsession has always been there, but I think that also it was sort of like, oh, that kid is carrying around a copy of Helter Skelter. They're like a weird kid. They're dark, you know. It wasn't yeah. mainstream in the way it is uh-huh. now.
1: Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. I I can remember like my first um the like first few stories that I was like really obsessed with um were um the story of Abraham Lincoln Martin Luther King the Elephant Man and Jack the Ripper and I think like there's something to me about that story of like this sort of extreme and that nobody know knew who he was and um that just like definitely hooked me as a kid and So, but I wouldn't, and I've certainly always been like curious about those stories. I think crime stories in particular to me, um, not just like serial killer stories, but like, you know, crime and punishment and um, just stories that sort of like weigh the morality of human decisions, I think are interesting and crime is a way to explore that.
1: So the pandemic only fueled the binging and demand for all these narratives, of course, as we're sitting at home and just (laughs) (laughs) waiting to be distracted by some sort of cold case. Um, uh, The new Unsolved Mysteries is a classic, fantastic. Uh, I don't know if you watched it. um, It was good. And it does frustrate some people because it doesn't actually give us a solve. I know Neil. That was one yeah. of your problems. You're like, oh, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> and it, I, I totally get that, but then you you don't get the you don't get it. You know, it doesn't
0: end.
3: Like, you get the frustration without the like uh, the catharsis. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no there's yeah. no like release. Yeah,
0: but that's why you go on Reddit then, and there's a subreddit for unsolved mysteries, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and then you get to see. We did. Uh, we would do that. <laughs> I totally yeah. remember when that new season of Unsolved Mysteries came out. So first off, I mean, to preface this by saying, a couple years ago. Dustin, this is when I had mono, and so, like, I just couldn't go anywhere. And we were like, what TV is there to watch at this point? And we found all the old episodes of Unsolved Mysteries streaming somewhere, and we started watching them. And I was like, I hate that there's no answer. I mean, but this was the 80s, so there must be now. And, you know, I, I found, of course, the subreddit for Unsolved Mysteries. And people are still, like, you know, being amateur sleuths, which I know we're going to talk about to and you know, they're still trying to figure out who committed these crimes or where what happened to these people. And can I just tell you, not a single one of them has been solved that that Whoa. I watched. I, I mean, I would check every single one of them, it, Dustin would be like, Okay, check and see what's going on there. Never an answer. <laughs> and uh, I, I feel like these new unsolved mysteries are more likely to be solved because we live. In a different area, era, when we can crowdsource evidence, I don't know if evidence is that might be a heavy-handed word to use there, but like thinking about all the stuff with Gabby Petito, you know, they were able to basically find her remains thanks to tips from the internet.
1: Yeah, so it's always like someone knows something. Yeah, like you see that over and over yeah. and over again. These these true crime where it's like someone knows something. And finally, if you can get that one person to, to actually like call in a tip. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could, you can solve it. So like bringing a lot of these cold cases back to attention, I think obviously has, you know, great, greater potential to, 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 to get that, that one bystander to, to say something.
0: It's true. And especially, you know, the whole Gabby Petito thing is really sad and it's a really weird story that, you know, really captured so many people's attention. Mm -hmm. I was telling you when we started talking about this episode that there is a subreddit for Gabby Petito, tons and tons of people in there posting all day, every day. Um, They had these twice, twice daily, they would create a new discussion thread that would have thousands and thousands of responses. It's still going on. And one good thing that came out of that uh, is that it really began to have more people shift their focus into all of the other people who are not white, blonde influencers who have disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that whole, like, concept of missing white woman syndrome, you know, where only pretty young white women get attention when they disappear. And my hope is that all of the people who channeled so much effort and into trying to solve the Gabby Petito case will transfer that excitement and that focus, that drive, into helping these other cases that people have forgotten about. Yeah, and get, and get yeah. people to act. Yeah.
3: Yeah, you know, there's uh, a huge um, problem of missing and murdered Indigenous women. And, and, I mean, that's the story over and over again is that they go missing um, partly because we live in a society where people think that they're disposable and their experience is, like, mm-hmm. um, invisible anyway. So nobody nobody cares. But there's a staggering – like, nobody actually knows – the number of missing and murdered indigenous women there are in um, the United States, but uh, it's extremely high. But the reason they don't is because nobody keeps records.
1: And there's a, there's a podcast on that now too, right? It's called. Yeah. uh, There's one called
3: missing and murdered. And then the new up and vanished season is also about a missing indigenous woman from uh, Wyoming.
1: I mean that's great. I mean, obviously it's it's been a couple years, you know, and but finally having these like podcasts that are focusing on that. I think is is really awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. Agreed.
1: Okay, but so crime as entertainment as as we've talked about has been a pop culture phenomenon for years. Newspapers learned a long time ago um, that serializing, sensationalizing, and romanticizing scandal and horror sells papers so jack the ripper is a rather notorious version of Mm -hmm. that which gripped london and beyond it's nice that neil is also uh fascinated by jack the ripper also i think a lot (laughs) of people are Um, and while the oj simpson trial can also be considered another true crime Uh, situation that became legendary and catapulted the interest in the 90s of just court cases, arguably even sparking the trend in reality TV, the 24-hour news cycle, and an unquenchable thirst for celebrity gossip. Oh, yeah, totally. Court
0: TV? Imagine a whole channel where you just watch court.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <I know.
0: laughs> a- yes, I think there's a couple of them. It's, it's pretty wild to me. I mean, and I think that O.J. Simpson trial is still so relevant, more relevant than ever. And it's been exciting Mm -hmm. to see that dissected under a different lens for a new generation Mm -hmm. of people. And I've been seeing a lot of these cases from the late 80s and early 90s coming back into the public eye, Mm -hmm. for better or worse. I think it's good. I think that some people who maybe, you know, uh, got the short end of the stick uh, from a PR perspective at that time are generating a lot more sympathy and interest now because you see how racist, sexist, ridiculous mm-hmm. the culture was at that time.
1: Have yeah. you watched the uh, the movie, uh, the O.J. Simpson movie with David Schwimmer? Yes. Uh, oh, the series. People versus O.J. Simpson. Delightful. Sorry, the series. Oh, so good. Neil recommended it a little while ago, and we sat down and watched it. It was just so, so good. good. It was
0: so good, and the ESPN documentary is good, too.
1: They did a really good job of, like, um, I think
3: overlapping the sort of like conflicting uh, uh, s- perspectives between um, what was her name? Marsha um, Hard? Marsha Clark, yeah. Marsha Clark, thank you. Marsha Clark uh, and, you know, OJ Simpson, how like she cared about, you know, uh, women who had been abused by their husbands. And he was like, I'm, you know, this. I'm never going to get a fair trial because I'm a black man in America. I'm like how that sort of just blew up and became this whole media phenomenon. I I thought they did a really good job with that.
0: Yeah. Agreed.
1: So what's the history behind all this? You ask, I guess you didn't really ask. I'm I'm asking. We're asking. Tell (laughs) Tell us. Tell us. (laughs) So it can be argued that true crime, the, the true crime genre is practically biblical with Cain and Abel being an early version of the actual style. But the release of these so-called true crime pamphlets in the beginning of the 18th century, England was really the kindling to the fire that would endure for centuries. So England, particularly London, was experiencing a crime wave like they had never seen. So this is the beginning of the 18th century. Public fear and uncertainty as to controlling, reducing, and punishing crimes was at an all-time high. So, in an effort to appease the masses, true crime pamphlets were released sharing details about murder investigations. Jack the Ripper, one of the most notorious serial killers, received national attention due to the high circulation of these pamphlets – which then led to increased demand in fiction and nonfiction accounts of crime, making it way all the way over to America during the mid to late 1800s. So then by the 1930s, a wave of true crime magazines was published across the States that sensationalized stories incorporated grisly photos of crime scenes and theories of potential offenders So these mags were considered really trashy and lowbrow, um, kind of back in that day, uh, which is the the stigma affecting consumption habits for years. And I think one of the reasons why we all kind of have gotten into it is because it really was looked down upon. So these magazines were popular up until the 1960s when they had to start competing with television, which was becoming, you know, obviously the, the modern medium of that time. So there is this article that's called uh, "When Podcast Met True Crime," which is where I'm getting a lot of this amazing history lesson to share with you. It mentions that um, the the truly modern interpretation of the true crime genre was actually born in the 1960s when "In Cold Blood" mm. by Truman Capote was published um and it says the story is an account of the clutter murders with a detailed review of the investigation of the crime and the execution of the murders so initially the new york the new yorker magazine had published it in four installments but due to the popularity it was eventually introduced in a book form have you read this at all neil or amanda i
0: think i had to read it in
1: college really like a writing class yeah i've never read
0: it
3: yeah, I've read, I mean, it doesn't I've stick with me. It, but <clears throat> I read but part of it, and then I saw the the movie that they made of it in the in the 1960s. Um,
1: Wait, they made so. a movie in the 1960s.
3: Well, they mm-hmm. made it. A, yeah, within a few years of the book coming out, oh. they made a movie called In Cold, Cold Blood, and then obviously the movie Capote is about him while he's writing In Cold Blood. Wow. Oh. Um,
1: so it. it It was a departure from the traditional portrayals of true crime that focused on the investigators. Um, So Capote reinvented the medium by building the story around the crime that was committed and the perpetrator as the main character, kind of like we're talking about with the Ted Bundy. And also reminds me a bit of Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, Mm -hmm. which, of course, is a fiction novel, um, but a really good one if you're looking for something to read. Um, So he explored the psychological state of mind of the criminal, which has become a significant characteristic of the true crime genre. So in cold blood ushered in a new interest and boom in gory true crime books that fascinated and intrigued as well as making it actually socially acceptable and reducing that lowbrow stigma. Okay. So now fast forward to 2014. And as I kind of already alluded to, this was the tipping point. So uh, it, it really still had remained hit or miss in consideration of that, like kind of low browedness of true crime. Um, and it obviously had kind of worn off a little bit over time. And so until 2014, when it actually all changed and all of us murder came out of the closet and that medium totally exploded so, you can see which podcasts are the top streamed on iTunes. And Amanda, I think you're going to be shocked to hear that the department has not made the top <laughs> what? list. What? Oh, no. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> but you know what's number one? Crime junkie. And four out of the top 10 right now are all true crime, and then eight are in the top 20. So arguably nothing really endures and can be binged quite like a true crime podcast.
3: You know, actually uh, quickly, uh, interesting factoid. I know that this is like a minute too late or two minutes too late, but interesting Mm -hmm. factoid about in cold blood, one of the actors who played the killer in the movie, Robert Blake, um, later was in the movie lost highway playing like this weird sort of like alter ego of a guy who's accused of killing his wife and then he was later accused of hiring someone to try and kill his wife in a parking lot in southern california and i i think he might have been acquitted for it but like interesting how you know people people they go into these movies and suddenly it becomes their life you know yeah don't, don't become an actor kids don't do that. i guess it's not,
0: not. Well, speaking of acting, and this isn't true crime, although it is often ripped from the headlines, I think it's really important to call out Law & Order and Law & Order Special Victims Unit, a.k.a. SVU, and (laughs) all the other spinoffs there, right? Because they are so beloved to so many people. Like – Dustin and I have a joke that we only stay in hotels so we can watch SVU reruns because it's always on. It's just so, so many people. It's their go-to comfort zone. And I think, I think that's there's something interesting about that there, right? These are fictional stories for sure, but they feel real. I often wonder if they start to desensitize people to crime, to abuse, to murder, right? And because they're so bingeable, like I, I want to say there are at least 20 seasons of SVU and there's always someone out there binging them all, all at once. We definitely went through a phase where we binged 10 seasons and it really messed with my perception of things. I don't know. It, it desensitized me, I guess is what I'm saying to sexual abuse. Like where I was like, Oh, whatever. It happens all the time. And then I'd be like, wait, no, it's really terrible. No, it doesn't. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I th- you know, because we see a softened version of it on television, something mm-hmm. that can be on NBC. You know, with Zach Yeah, we get it. We get the Zach Efron crime, but <laughs> I mean, these are like just such a pop culture touch point for so many people, and they are they are the true crime genre. They're just not true, mm-hmm.
1: but sometimes they're based on. Unreal crimes, though. But it's
0: always bad. When they do that, it's always really terrible. They tried to do one that was totally, like, I think they were trying to be, um, oh, my God, Dove Charney. And (gasps) this was years ago. And I was like, this is really bad. You're actually glossing over how messed up everything Dove Charney did is. Mm -hmm. You know, you're softening it. You're commodifying it for, you know, primetime television. And I think that if you watch enough of those episodes, it does make you think, like, oh, these things aren't that bad and they are right. bad. They're the most heinous crimes. Yeah. You know.
3: Yeah, it's um there's been a lot written maybe especially in the last few years about how that show in particular, SVU, just sort of treats women and their bodies as like disposable and like, you know, they're they're oh, they're dead in the first second and then the rest of the episode is trying to find who the killer is and it's like
2: Mm-hmm.
3: No, what this was supposed to be a person with a life, like not, not just a freaking prop for your for your, you know, TV show to sell ads, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that it reinforces a lot of ideas that people have about yeah. these crimes being no big deal, about those those victims being disposable or not the most important part of the story. Um, I can see that in the past couple seasons, uh, SVU has tried to get woke. You know, they yeah. talk about systemic racism within the police department to the best of their ability. Uh, they definitely try to portray the victims as more than one dimensional, but I mean, it's, it's got kind of a long way to go. And like, ultimately yeah. I just, I don't think we all need to be watching a show every week about rape and murder and sexual abuse, you know, mm-hmm. like for 20 years.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Especially like with that format. Cause it's really, it's so formulaic and it's so like, um, clearly just like clickbait basically, there to Mm -hmm. get you to like get hooked in so that they can sell you these products Mm -hmm. and because i i would i would argue that certain like stories about those crimes are actually very valuable but but probably not just for you but the you know there's one of my favorite filmmakers german um austrian filmmaker named mika hanukkah uh has made a lot of films but one of his like core goals as a filmmaker is actually to resensitize people to violence mm.
2: and to sort of
3: like make it um, he they're always like a commentary on um, the way violence is portrayed and and but like even in one of his films called Benny's video there's a scene where a farmer Benny's video uh,
1: Benny's he, video
3: there's a scene where a farmer is killing a pig in the opening and it's one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen, but it like, it makes, it gives you that sense of like, this is an animal. This is like a thing that that has a life and does not want to. So he's really good at at sort of countering
1: the American uh, uber corporate murder thing. And I read this really in-depth research article, very long, really great it's called When Podcast Met True Crime, a genre medium coevolutionary love story. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. What a mouthful. By, okay. Now, and then I'm going to totally butcher their names because I believe that they're um, either Swedish or uh, there could be Swedish or Danish. Uh, Lena uh, steistrup Clausen and Stein Ausum Skaller. Seems good. Seems good. Close. Uh, anyway, but they, they take a really close look at how true crime became popularized by the podcasting medium. So the article reminds readers that in 2005, it was the beginning of this newfangled thing called the podcast. And it was rumored to be the death of radio for years, yet actually found its footing with different content and able to coexist with with radio, and scratch an itch that we didn't realize we even had for a narrative and audio storytelling medium. So podcasts kind of existed below the mainstream until 2014 the year that changed everything for that medium. So the niche and tech savvy millennial audience found their newfound obsession with true crime in a podcast form when Serial was released about the 1999 murder of Heyman Lee, which became the fastest podcast ever to reach over 5 million downloads. And as I mentioned before now has reached a whopping 340 million downloads. Can you even imagine? So the podcast was so monumental that 2014 and before is referred to as BS or before serial, <laughs> and post release is AS or after serial. True crime podcasts and interest spread like an actual wildfire. The article shares some really interesting stats. It says statistics show that the podcasting medium experienced a rise in popularity after 2014, with nearly a third of all podcasts listened. On listed on iTunes US being launched between 2014 and 2015. So similarly, before the launch of Serial, only 27% of Americans had listened to a podcast compared to 51% today. So in the following years, several true crime podcasts were launched and well-received by audiences like Undisclosed and My Favorite Murder in 2016 and S-Town in 2017. And then in 2019, 50% of the top 10 podcasts were, t- were true crime. Wow. And of wow. course, you know, I love my, my Favorite Murder, and My Favorite Murder has developed a genre that was clearly in demand with over 19 million loyal monthly listeners. 19 million. They have their own community of murderinos who share the same fascination with true crime, murder, mystery, and the history behind it. And so, like, this 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 cult following of murderinos melds comedy into the mix, which is, you know, obviously was completely unheard of before and creates a niche that is undeniably intoxicating. And, you know, I absolutely love listening to it and I find it weirdly comfort, comforting and relaxing. <laughs> and I'm going to be getting and, and fascinating. I'm going to be getting into that. The, the, why people find it comforting and fascinating um, in the, the next episode that we're going to be jumping into pretty soon.
0: So, have either of you ever listened to Sword and Scale? No. Okay. No. So, this – have you ever listened to this, Neil? Okay. So, I remember in as True Crime was coming up, you know, you would hear th- – there were three podcasts you would hear about constantly. You know, Serial, Yep, My Favorite Murder, and Sword and Scale. So, I gave it a listen, and I tried to listen to it, and I found it really, really off-putting. I mean, for a multitude of reasons. The – it's really grisly. There's a lot mm-hmm. of gratuitous, very triggering nightmare content in it. Like, I know I just talked about people being desensitized mm-hmm. to murder and abuse, but this, like, swings the other way where, like, it should come with some sort of warning. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> also, the, uh, the host, his name is Mike Boudet, um, he seems to really uh, hate people with mental illness. And wow. says a lot of really terrible things about That's people with mental health, blames it on that, calls them monsters. <gasps> um, I stopped listening to it because I was just like, I have a bad feeling about it. Mm-hmm. So then a couple of things happened. One – he it turns out he sucks just spoiler yeah. uh, he was saying really shitty things about the hosts of my favorite murders and my favorite murder oh talking about god. their bodies and their appearance and just dismissing oh my god them. yeah
1: so he, like that
0: started that's that wasn't good for him then so at some point this was a wondery podcast by the way um mm-hmm. sword and scale in 2019 on International Women's Day, uh, the official Sword and Scale Instagram account posted a photo that said, I don't understand dumb C words. You know what C word I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should take one apart to see how it works.
1: What? And, uh,
0: yeah, pretty fucked up. Wondery dropped him. Wait, um, he and posted
1: this on Instagram? Yeah,
0: yeah. And... Uh, Wonder he was like, we're done with you. And another time, before that, the, the same inst- his Instagram account posted a meme featuring Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street that said they were browsing for sex slaves on the dark web. Like, he's just a gross troll. Ooh. He continues to make his podcast. I think he, it's just like, you know, indie now because no one will touch him. Uh, I checked out his Twitter today to see if he was still. A monster, mm-hmm. and he is uh, posting oh really fucked up things about people's mental health, their bodies, really sexist, misogynist, ugly, ableist content all the time. Um, just a really bad guy, but like. And, and now, of course, he's found a corner of the internet that really embraces that. Surprise, surprise! Of course, right? I'm sure. and so now he's like really being his true self. And I remember I would pick up on this stuff before mm-hmm. all this happened, and that's why I stopped listening to it. But like this podcast was up there with Serial and my favorite Murder as like the number one, two, and three podcasts at that time.
1: We well, and- got the Joe Rogan podcast.
3: That's oh. everybody. So wait, <laughs> I mean- wait a second, though, Amanda. I, I- I'm not sure. Are you? Are you saying that you don't recommend it?
0: I don't <laughs> recommend it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, I'm he just, also. I just he wanted is- to make sure. <laughs> yeah, don't don't listen to it. Oh my, he's horrible. He has beef with another uh, person who is a big player in the uh, true crime genre, which is Rabia Chaudhry. she's the host of Undisclosed. Yes, and yes, and she she's really about you know fighting for you know to overturn wrongful convictions. And he has said some really messed up misogynist, racist things about her too, including accusing her of hating all white people. Oh wow, like. Yeah. He's just so racist, so sexist, so inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. Silenced. And he, at some point in his Twitter bio for Sword and Scale, this is this is how much he has leaned into mm-hmm. th- being this character. He made his Twitter bio say that she hates all white people like he has just leaned into that. He still has almost 38,000 followers. What a
2: troll.
0: I know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um Ooh. and he like he'll post things like it's really messed up that like now you can't even tell fat women to exercise. Like he's just gross. Um <laughs> but I, like I guess I'm I'm just bringing this up to say that like we can't, as listeners, as, as people who consume this content, assume that everybody who comes into it deserves that platform, is treating those stories with the respect they deserve, mm-hmm. with the sensitivity they deserve, or presenting information objectively. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is a guy who really goes hard against people with mental health issues and addiction. And I feel like that's not a person who should get to talk about crime. You know? Yeah. Anyway, that's my rant about him. Don't listen to him. <laughs>
1: that's good to know. I was about to write it down and be like, oh, a podcast recommendation. I okay. love one of those. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh good. Okay. We'll stay away. I mean, actually Neil and I were trying to listen to the Murdoch murders and I found it just so so hard to listen to. Like I, I know that it's like it's got so much um it gets a lot of press and you know people are talking about it constantly. And it's 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 right there up on like the 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 top, I think it's in the top uh, ten or twenty. I think it's in the top ten right now. But it like the production value is just it's it's so poor. And I know that you know they're you know they're they're indie and you know that this is not something that they usually do. But it's just it's it's so hard to listen to. Like sometimes it's just like they'll um, they'll be interviewing someone who wants their voice disguised, but to a point that you can't even understand. It's like what they're saying. (laughs)
0: That's too bad because that story is so wild. I think it has so many layers. You know, I mean, well, maybe I'm sure there will be like there better be make a great series out of it. There better it's, be.
1: It's, it's Neil, what are you doing one. right now? I feel like you can get on top of this. I'm
0: just kidding. <laughs> you know, another thing I just wanted to say too is I, uh, I know Dateline is a television show, but I actually listen to the podcast version of it uh, pretty religiously. It's just nice to have on while I'm doing housework. And I think another trope that starts to emerge from certain true crime uh, pieces, like you know, media, whether it's television, like SVU, which I know isn't true, but it's still it still hits the same spot for a lot of people. Or from certain documentaries or podcasts, is that the police are always right and every crime gets solved. And that, that police departments pull out all the stops to solve crimes. And th- there's a lot of that on Dateline, and it, it bugs me, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I worry that people believe that the kinds of stuff we might see on forensic files or Dateline or all these other places, uh, that that's really how crime victims and how crimes are solved. Um, and that's just not true. Like, you know, yeah. that's why so, so many cases actually don't get solved yeah. and barely get investigated.
3: Most murders don't get solved. But speaking of Dateline, my ex-wife was, after her father was convicted, like, approached by a producer at Dateline who was, like, um, and it was the first person who, like, wanted to get their family's side of the story and... So, and her family, like, really did not want to do it because they were, like, they just felt so burned by the entire experience of their fathers going through the trial and everything. And they were, um, I think, all just really traumatized by it. But anyway, so this producer, like, um, really, like, worked very hard on Margaret to, like, convince her to, to do the show. And she was like, we really, we want to present your side. Like, we want... Um, and then so Margaret talked her whole family in and they all flew to San Francisco and like did this interview and it turned out like awfully, like they, they made them all kind of like look like jokes. They like clearly chose the, um, the perspective of, um, the victim's daughter, which was just like a deeper, you know, a deeper wound or adding salt to the wound. And then, when we were in grad school, Margaret was taking this class called producing the documentary and she walked in and the producer from Dateline was her professor. And
2: and, um,
3: she, she looked at Margaret and was like, Oh yeah, we know each other. And, and then she was like, do you want to tell the class how we know each other? And Margaret was like, no, and I think I'm going to leave your class. (laughs) And um, she got up and walked out. And then the the teacher actually, like, um, started a relationship with her, like, a friendship and, like, convinced her to stay in the class. And um, ultimately turned out to be, like, supportive of Margaret, I think. Um, But, like, it's crazy. And then when we lived in L.A., Dateline, after Margaret's dad was released from prison because of like um, so many uh, levels of corruption involved in his conviction um, uh, the she was interviewed for Dateline again, and this time I think it was a different producer who had started like trying to work on like the lawyer to get the family interested. And we went into this, like, hotel. I think it was the Peninsula. We went to the Peninsula. Um, little did I know what else was going on there with Mr. Wait, what Weinstein. was it going on the- <laughs> oh. It's, like, Harvey Weinstein's mm. favorite place. Anyway, but we went into this hotel room, and they, they did an amazing interview. Margaret was very good, and, like, um, they interviewed her sister, and, um, They're both just very like firm in their position, and then they cut out like ninety eight percent of it and went with the sensationalist angle
1: again. Oh wow! So it just goes to show you can't trust Dateline. You
3: cannot trust Dateline.
0: Apparently, I mean, I've I've had I could talk about Dateline for hours. The edit is very form- formulaic. You know, you can f- if if you listen for it, you can hear the interviewer feeding the lines (laughs) to the person they're interviewing. Right. It's like so clear. It'd be like, would you say that she lit up every room that she walked into? (laughs) Yes. I would say that, you know, like it's Uh, like so ridiculous.
3: (laughs) And isn't it really long? Aren't they like two-hour episodes? Sometimes
0: they are, yeah. It's weird to listen to them on the podcast, too, because you don't get to see things and they'll be talking about things you should see. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like so long, it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty wild how much content they get to churn out. And, you know, I mean, I think they put out a new episode of the television show at least once a week, right? I like there are a lot of murders and crimes here in the United States but you know th- yeah. it, it still I don't know it makes people believe that if something bad happens to you or a loved one or someone you know that don't worry the crime will be solved and justice will be served and we know that's just fundamentally not true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We'll talk actually a little bit more about that on the next the next um, <laughs> episode. What a p- pleasant
0: note mm-hmm. to end the yes. show on. <laughs> All right, well, everyone, we'll be back next week, and we will have Neil with us.
3: All right.
0: Bye, everyone.
3: Bye-bye. <laughs>